Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Finishing up the series today called God of Promise. Yep, y'all okay? Whoop, whoop. Appreciate your hoops. We love the hoopins, hooping and hollering. <laughs> hooping and hollering. Y'all okay today? A little, a little thin. Uh, first service, second service felt pretty good. And uh, we've kind of flipped, you know, since we're doing uh, kids during first. So now we're typically seeing uh, more during the first. So hopefully pretty soon we get, uh, get all you guys to work and then we can uh, we can have both serv- kids, kids in both services. So anyway, we are completing our series today. Uh, if you remember, we started this series really focusing on the covenants throughout the scriptures. And then the last couple of weeks, we spent time talking about the people of promise. Like these are the, these are the, the promises that God had and the agents of those promises. And then now we've entered into a time where we're talking about how, listen, we are the people of promise. And so we are God's covenant partners. How many know that whenever there is a covenant being made or a contract being made, if you will, that, that there's not just one signature on that covenant. In fact, that the purpose of a covenant or a contract is so that two people can come into an agreement and they can come to terms on that agreement. So we are covenant partners with God. We've talked a lot about God. We love how God's a God of promise. We want to focus on that. That is that is the intention of our life, to focus on the goodness of God, to focus on God's, God's side of things, if you will. But there is also another side. There is our side. There's another signature on there, and that signature is the body of Christ. It's, it's the people of God that said, yes, Lord, we agree with your principles. We agree with your promises. They're good, and we will also commit to them. Are you with me? And so it's not a one-sided contract. And so our focus on this series has been really the kingdom of God revealed through making covenant partners. And that's what we focused on, right? We focused on those covenant partners. We talked about Adam and Eve, remember, and how God gave them a promise that they would have multiple descendants, that they would rule and reign on the earth, that they would expand the kingdom of God. They fell short of that, and then God renewed the covenant, remember? And you remember that covenant that he made with them. He said, you know what? The Satan Satan came, and he kind of disrupted things, but a descendant will come from you, and he will crush his head. He might bruise your heel a little bit, but you will crush his head. Head, And then we see Noah, man, the world falls apart because sin entered the world. And then so God raises up Noah and God raises up this man who loved him. And he said, you know what? He's going to be my covenant partner and I'm going to make a covenant with him. And I'm going to, I'm going to wipe out most of the people on the earth, but I'll, I'll never do that again. Remember he set his bow down and he said, but I will, I will raise up uh, Noah, and he will be my covenant partner. And then we see the next covenant partner, which is Abraham. And Abraham, again, just reaffirming the promise that God had made. You're going to have descendants. You're going to have land. You're going to have blessings. You're, the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. So God, throughout the Old Testament, with Moses, we see Moses. There's God's people in bondage. He says, you know what? I'm going to raise up a deliverer. And he does. And he raises up Moses. And he leads the people out. And then what does he do? He signs a covenant through Moses to the children of Israel. And he said, this this covenant that I'm making with you is going to preserve the Jewish people because in 1,500 years, you need to be preserved as a people so the Messiah can come from you. And then he shows up to David because David's like, Lord, I want to build you a house. And God's like, because you want to build me a house, I'm going to establish my kingdom through your line. A king will come from your loins and he'll be one that will rule and his kingdom will never end, right? And so God has all 
all these covenants through all these people. And then Jesus establishes the new covenant. He comes in and he says, listen, this is the new covenant that that I will put my spirit in you and that you will be my people and I will be your God and we will be in this thing called relationship and this thing called covenant. So our relationship with the Lord isn't necessarily just like a relationship that you would have with a friend. It's actually more like a relationship that you would have in a marriage, right? It's a covenant relationship. It's I'm all in till death do us part, right? It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. And so what I want to suggest to you today is a couple of things. First of all is this, is that God rarely acts without human involvement. Rarely does God move unless he's moving through people. And the second is this, is God's sovereignty is not undermined through partnership. We all want God to just do it. Don't we? Oh, God, just do it. Just do it. God, you're all of the Lord, none of me. Right? And I love that. I love that prayer. I love that, that surrender. But how many of you know that that's just not the way the kingdom of God works? God is into using people. He is into using agents. He likes his sovereignty. And I would suggest this, that when in God's sovereignty, because people will make the statement, God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. Oh, God's in control. What are they saying? They say, we believe in God's sovereignty. We believe that God is, God is masterminding this. I would suggest to you that, that God isn't always in control but he's always in charge. God's always in charge. He's always got the authority, but he comes into relationship with people who have wills. And he goes, well, actually I'm in, I'm in charge, but it's really up to you to see whether or not my dominion will reign on the earth. Right? We call this free will. And so God gets to blame because we think of God in this way of that he's so sovereign. And and let me also say this about sovereignty. I think it speaks more of God's sovereignty for him not to have to be in control of everything. Because if he's sovereign enough to say, I can control it, but I won't, that's power. Because if you had all the power, you would control everything. And I think God in his goodness goes, let's just see. Let's just see. Will they return love to me? Because if God is in control, he would just make everyone love him. Wouldn't he? I mean, he's not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. So God's sovereignty is not undermined through this thing called partnership. He is in charge. He is in power. So God gets blamed for a lot of the problems in the world because God's in charge. In fact, God, I mean, God's in control. So if God's in control, then, you know, cancer, then all the poverty in the world, right? All the brokenness. You think, you think God's in charge of, of sex trafficking? No, God's not in control of that, right? But he wants someone who is in charge on the earth that would come and eradicate sex trafficking. Come on. And so God is into this thing called solutions, right? And he's into this thing called choice. And he's into this thing called partnerships. Will we partner with God's heart to release his dominion on the earth? It's the story from the beginning. It's the story from the beginning. So some will suggest, well, because evil exists, Either one, God isn't good, or that God doesn't even exist because evil exists, right? But I would suggest this to you today, that in order for for evil to exist, then good must also exist. And if good and evil to exist, then there must be some objective value in which good and evil exist, right? There must be a law. Well, what's good and what's bad, right? And if there's a law, there has to be a law giver. Someone's got to issue the decree of saying, this is good and this is bad. 
right? So the, the presence of evil actually reveals, we call this the problem of evil. The problem of evil is not a problem. It's a solution because it points to that there is an opposite of evil. It's called good. And God is good. So God is not the problem. He's the solution. So Jesus on the scene shows up and he provides a solution. And a solution isn't just to come. The solution for sin has been dealt with. Come on. The solution for humanity continues through the teachings of Jesus up through today. Right? And forever. And so this is what he does. Jesus at the end of his life, Jesus dies He's resurrected. I say the end of his life. His life will never end. His, he dies. He's resurrected. He goes and he appears and he's preaching. And the last thing that he does is he gives us what's called the Great Commission, which is not the Great Evangelism Tent Meeting, by the way, which some have made it. It's, it's preaching the gospel. That's the that's that's the 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 Great Commission. The Great Commission is not preaching the gospel. The Great Commission is advancing the gospel. Come on. And that does happen with preaching, but preaching is not the end of this beginning. So Matthew 28, verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So here's Jesus resurrected in front of them. They saw him dead. Now he's resurrected and it still says that some doubted. Because sometimes no matter what the reasoning or what all the evidence points, it doesn't matter. People are still going to doubt. Because doubt has more to do with sin than it does to do with evidence. Right? So when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. By the way, Jesus was worshipped. It's another, another point that Jesus is God. Because it would be, if Jesus wasn't God, then they were sinning by worshipping him. And Jesus was sinning by receiving worship. So when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. How much? All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All the authority in heaven. All the authority in all the heavens. All the cosmos. All of it. Guess who has all that authority? Jesus. It'd be easy for us to say, well, God the Father has it. God the Father transferred. Oh, come on. God the Father transferred all the authority into Jesus. All authority, all of it, on heaven, in heaven and on the earth. So Jesus is in charge. He has all the authority. Therefore, go. It's crazy. Yeah. He's like, I have all the authority, all of it. All the authorities, I got it. Yeah. Therefore, go. Yes. From that place of understanding that I am the Lord, I want you to go forth with my authority. Here it is. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Not just preach the gospel, that's part of it, but make disciples. Yeah. Other words, create followers of Jesus. Not followers of Josh Brown, right? Followers of Jesus. They might follow Josh Brown, but they're following me to Jesus, right? I've been influenced, now I'm influencing others. This is what Jesus has called every Christian to, to discipleship. Not just being a disciple, but making disciples. How many disciples do you have? How many people are you training up? That's partnership. This is what Jesus gave you this authority. Not just you just have a happy little content life and kind of get by and pay your bills and, you know, be nice to the lady at Walmart. No, no, no. He called you to preach the gospel to the lady at Walmart and then develop in her the reality of leading her into a Christ-like life and her doing the same. Oh, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all the nations, 
all the authority, all the nations. Then he says this, baptizing them. So that's why we'll do baptism today, because this is a command of Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. So he's like, he's given us this commission. That's what I want you to do. To go out and create followers. I want you to baptize them. Why are they getting baptized? Because when they go into the water, they're, they're going into, into, into burial. They're dying. And when they come up, they're coming into new life. They're signing up. They're going to baptize them. And then what I want you to do is I want you to teach them. I want you to teach them everything that I've been teaching you. Every, teach them to obey. Not just, and then he says this, everything that I've commanded you. Not just the things that I've suggested. Because some people take the, com- the commands of Jesus as suggestions. Well, we know the Lord said that, but that's just not my personality. Remember, you died in baptism. Right? Your personality died in baptism. Come on. You, you're fresh. You're brand new. And surely, and this way he says, and I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I will put my Holy Spirit in you. you will be, I will be with you always even into the end of the age. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, my authority, all the authority I have is given to you. I've given you the authority that I have. I'm putting it in you. This is why he told Peter, just 10 chapters before that, Matthew 18, he makes this statement. He says, I give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. Guess what? Jesus doesn't have the keys of the kingdom anymore. Who's got the keys of the kingdom? We do. The followers of Jesus, you have the keys of the kingdom. When Jesus said, pray on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying, listen, you have the key. This is the key. You have the key to unlock things on the earth that are locked up in heaven. You have the key to unlock things on the earth that are unlocked in heaven. Healing, unlock. The teachings of Jesus, unlock. The principles of the kingdom, unlock. You have the authority. You have it. It's been given to you. He's given it to you because he's with you. He's with you to accomplish that. So get this, beloved. Understand this. We are not simply God's project. We are his partners. And some of you have been living the Christian life like that you are just simply a project of God. God just worked. God's working on me. I've been talking to people. God's been working on 50. God's still working on me, by the way. But they see primarily that, hey, I'm just, you know, just a work in process. Lord, I just I just need you just to work in progress, Lord. You know, not much progress, but a little bit, right? God's working on me. God's working on me. God's working on me. Yeah, he is, absolutely. You know, and he's going to keep working on you until you're fully mature and complete. That's what the scripture says. So God's going to continue working. But listen, you're not God's like special project that he's just working on all the time. You're his partner. Beloved, will you see yourself that way? The reason why you're his project is because you're his partner. Because he said, I want to be in relationship with you. So let's work on those things. But primarily most, especially in the West and most Americans see, well, God's just, he's blessing me and he's encouraging me and he's strengthening me for me. No, 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 no. You're getting it all wrong. He's doing that for him so that you can be used for his purposes. See, it's not God's will for my life. It's my life for God's will. It's my life being yielded to the plan of God because we're partners. Are you okay? Are you okay? So God chooses to represent his goodness and his dominion on the earth through those that are in covenant with him, those that are in relationship. It's the kind of relationship that you have with God. Well, my relationship with God's a little bit different. No, your relationship with God is a covenant. That's what it is. 
And so it's time that we start living like partners of that covenant, that we've signed it. When you sign that, you signed your life away. You, 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 sign, you, you got a new one. You, had a, you have a new lease on life, right? It's not a lease, though. It's total ownership, right? You signed it over. So Jesus is in charge, and we understand that, but he uses human partners to unfold his purposes on the earth. First, first Peter, First Peter chapter 2. You okay? All right, number one. Uh, not number one, number nine, verse nine. First Peter, one Peter. One Peter, two nine. There it is. There's my first that I was looking for. First Peter, two nine. <laughs> you are a chosen people. Let's just start there. God looked throughout the earth and he said, hmm, I want to pick somebody to be in partnership with. Hmm. Imlin looks like a good candidate. Right? Morgan looks like a good candidate. I pick him. I chose him. That word, that word in the Greek is ekklesia. It's where we this is what we call the church. The church means this, the called out ones. It's when I was a kid, when I was eight-year-old little daddy in elementary, Noel Elementary in Odessa, Texas. And it was P.E. time. We play kickball. Anybody play kickball? It's kind of like baseball, but you kick a ball instead of hit a ball. Yeah. Kick it. You kick the ball. It's a big ball. Big red ball. It's fun. So what they would do is they would have, the coach would do one thing. He'd pick two captains. All right, you're the captain, most athletic. Second most athletic, you're captain. Second most athletic, you get to pick first. <laughs> All right, everybody up against the fence. Right? It's time for public humiliation. Right? <laughs> Let's see who the worst is. There's little Josh Brown. Hey, hello, everybody. I'm not too fast. I'm kind of round, but I can kick the ball, right? So I start picking. Hey, you're, you know, all the, I mean, you would, you would have thought I would have got, I mean, with this physique, you know, you would have thought, even even eight-year-old Josh, you would have thought, man, I thought I would have been picked first. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't qualified. And so they get down to the end, right? They pick their teams, right? And then so there I am at the end. We'll take him. <laughs> we don't pick Josh. The first guys were picked. They're like, we'll take Josh. Like, he's the last one. That's not the way it was with God. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm still healing on that. Listen, that's not the way it is with God. God picks you first. He looks, he goes, you're qualified. I choose you. Because there's nobody else in human history can do what you're supposed to do for the kingdom of God. So I pick you to be in relationship with me so you can expand my purposes on the earth. He called you out. He called you out from that fence. He didn't take you. He looked at you. God, the God of the universe, looked at you and said, I choose you. Come on. You're on my team. Let's play. Let's let's play kingdom advancement. So he chose you. He picked you. He called you out and he commissioned you. Then he says this, you're a royal priest. Some translations say priesthood. A royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood. Priesthood is pretty awesome because a priesthood means that you get to represent God to the people and people to God. That's what a priest is. Guess what? We get to do that. We're representatives of the covenant. Not only are we in the covenant, we're representatives of the covenant. We're priesthood. But we're not just regular priesthood. We're royal priesthood. Guess what? You're royalty. You are. I know you watch the thing on TV where the wedding, I didn't care. Because I'm more royal than them. Because my king is the king of the cosmos. And he says, I'll pick you. 
and you're going to be a royal representative of me. God's very own possession. He belongs to you. You belong to him. It's covenant. As a result, as a result of that, because God's picked you, because he's stamped royalty on it, because of that, you can show, you can reveal, you can live out, you can declare to others the goodness of God. You can live out the valor of the royal king, Jesus. You know, I know that you've experienced his royalty. I know that he's stamped you with it, but he's saying this, you can represent my goodness. How do you see God's goodness on the earth? Through his church. How well are we representing him? Because many have a testimony, not all. I don't have this testimony. My testimony is that the church is bright and brilliant and I've been treated well. There's been some scoundrels and some punks that I'd like to punch in the face. But for the most part, my experience with church has been good. And some of that's been because I'm resilient and I'm not a sissy. And some of it, and because I, I know that there are also good things. And I'm not butthurt about every little thing that happens. Some of it's because of that. Some of it's just because my experience has been pretty sensational. I love, love the church. Doesn't mean that all church people have been good representatives. So what I say, instead of saying I'm done with the church, say, well, I'll represent them well. I'll be royalty. I'll live out how I was called, who chose me, who picked me. I will show forth his goodness. And it says this because he called you out of darkness. He called you out of the kingdom of darkness into his wonderful light. So we, as royal representatives, as priests, we get to represent him, represent him. We re-gift the Lord. You get to. You don't, well, do I have to? You get to. If you think you have to, then maybe you haven't put on that royal garment. Beloved, you have been redeemed. You've been called out from a royal God. You get to show his splendor. The glory of God shines. This is why it says, but what Paul says this, he says, we with all unveiled faces. What is that? A sign of intimacy. We with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of God. It's not my glory. It's his, but it's beaming off of me. The church looks like Jesus. And this, this is why they called Christians Christians. Little Christ. They looked like Jesus. They acted like Jesus. They prayed like Jesus. They did perform miracles like Jesus. Christians. Representation. So royal reps, sons and daughters, princes and princesses. Guys, you're the prince, by the way, not princesses. Girls, you're the princesses. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's a weird word to say, princesses. princesses. So we get to show forth his virtue, his royal virtue. You get to. You Okay. So how do we carry out this divine partnership? How do we carry it out? What does it look like? Well, first of all, we carry it out with power. Everybody say power. How many know that if he called you and he assigned you, God isn't, God isn't the kind of God that goes, okay, go build a house. He gives you the tools to do it. He gives you the lumber. <laughs> Come on. He gives you all the resources you need. He, gives you, he, he, he might not get in there and be actually driving nails in, but he gives you everything you need to do it. Mm-hmm. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So he, he provides the product. Listen, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's okay. It'll work right here. God is in charge of the product. We are in charge of the distribution. So God, God provides all the stuff, but we get, we get to build houses and 
you know, make toothpicks out of two by fours and stuff. So God, God provides the power because we're called out, because we're commissioned. He goes, well, you're going to need the power to do it. You're going to need to be able to lay hands on the sick and then recover. You're going to need to be able to do that. You're going to need to be able to go to somebody that's had an addiction for 40 years and declare freedom over them and they'll be free. You need to have the power to do that. So I'll give you the power to do that. What is the power? The power is the Holy Ghost. The power is the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in, in Romans chapter 8, it says the same spirit that went into Jesus when Jesus was dead, cold dead in that grave. The Holy Spirit went into the body and resurrected Jesus. The same spirit that empowered him to do miracles. The same spirit rose Jesus from the dead. And guess what it says in Romans 8? It says that same spirit now dwells. doesn't just visit you. It dwells. It abides. It minos inside of you. So we are baptized with this power. Like we're going to baptize, be fully submerged. We don't sprinkle. God don't sprinkle. He baptizes, he's submerged. The word means immerse. He immerses you in the Holy Ghost. You are Holy Ghost possessed. You're possessed by the Holy Ghost. Do you know that? Well, I didn't. Well, maybe you need to. You need to ask the Lord, take possession. Take possession of me. So Acts 10, 38 says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. What did he anoint him with? Holy Spirit power. (laughs) Too much power. So we're taking me. Yes, that kind of church. What What was Jesus anointed with? The Holy Spirit. Guess what you're anointed with? Holy Spirit. You were anointed, listen, you were anointed with the same power. You don't have the same calling that Jesus had. Jesus Jesus is a different calling than you, but you operate with the same power that Jesus had. The Holy Spirit. That's why we want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know about all that. Yeah, you do. You want it. Trust me, you want it. You want him. Baptized Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Why are we healing people that are and doing good and healing people that are under the power of the devil? Probably because we're not baptized in the Holy Ghost. I know you spoke in tongues. That's great. But are you baptized in power? Because, and so it says God was with him. Because he had authority in his life. Because you have the authority of Jesus. Listen, the the, the word that Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says this. He says, I I, I give you the... I will pour out my, my spirit and power on you. The word is dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. There's another word from power. It's called exousia. And, and exousia is the kind of power that you have when you have authority. Yeah. Like a police officer has exousia. Someone has gave it, given him authority to go and write you a ticket or to take you to jail if you break the law. Right. He has exousia, authority to do that. You have that also. You have power, explosive power, and you have exousia. The exousia of King Jesus, the authority, the authority and power. Y'all okay? A little deeper there than I wanted to. But again, God is in charge of the product. We are in charge of the distribution, the keys. We got the keys. What did he do? He gave you the keys. He gave you the keys. He gave you the spirit of God. He gave you the keys. Number one is power. This is what divine partnership looks like. We have power. We have power to accomplish what God's called us to. Number two, we have a posture. We have posture. Right? It's better when you stand up nice and straight. Makes you look a little slimmer for those of us that slouch. Posture. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about how you carry yourself. Listen, as a covenant partner with the royal king of the universe, you need to carry yourself like it. You don't, you you know, you're in partnership with God. 
And some people think that partnership with God just means, oh, I'm just poor little me, little, I'm just more little Christian, just sinner, sinner, I'm such a sinner, just so little, I'm so unimportant to God. People think that. I'm like, no wonder. You're so miserable. You're not seeing yourself the way that God sees you. Straighten up. Straighten up that posture. Jesus spent a lot of time, a lot of time, dealing with the posture of people. I mean, he shows up on the scene with all these religious. We love that. Oh, yeah, Jesus, we're rebuking the religious. You know why? It's, because it's not the things that they were doing. It's the way that they were doing them. It was their posture. It was the way they carried themselves, the way that they looked down at people that weren't living up to what they thought, all the things that they added to the law. So he's like, hmm. I mean, some of the stuff they were doing was wrong, but it was mostly their posture. If they would have fixed their posture, other things would, would work out. You know, I, I found out by going through chiropractic care that a lot of the other physical issues that you wouldn't think have anything to do with your spine will get corrected if your spine is in alignment. All of a sudden, you don't, there, there's, been, there's been cases of, of cancer cured because someone got their back adjusted. I mean, there are like documented things that happen like that. Why? Because their posture is correct. And so if you can straighten up your posture, if you can get your posture aligned with the right posture, then maybe you'll start seeing more of the goodness of God in your life. So Jesus spends all his time dealing with the posture of people, the way that they did things. Not just, not just that they did things, but the way that they did them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. And all of this, now what he's speaking of here is the new life in Christ. We just got through with the scripture right there, verse 17. This is all those that are in Christ are a new creation. Then he says this, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. Reconciliation means this, we were broke up and now we're back together, right? So he's given us what? This task. Guess what our task is? To reconcile people to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So he gives us, he doesn't just reconcile us, he gives us the message of it. He's like, I I brought you back in and now I'm giving you the message to go out and bring others back to him. And then he says this, Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Whoa, it's a heavy term. We'll get into it in a minute. God is making his appeal through us. How is God moving on the earth? How is God calling people back to him on the earth? Through us. So when you read these scriptures, don't think you, think us. It's always us. It's always the body. It's always corporate. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. You want to speak for Jesus? Guess what? You're an ambassador. You can. So he says this, speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. So when you tell somebody, come back to God, come on back home, son. Come on back, daughter. When you say that, you're speaking for Christ because God has reconciled you and now he's using you to call those that have drifted, to call those that are far from God, those that need to encounter the reality of Jesus. Whenever you tell them, you say, listen, You need to come to the Lord. Guess what you're doing? You're speaking on behalf of Jesus. That's his heart. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. He's talking about the gospel. Then he says this. Don't miss miss chapter 6, verse 1. As God's partners, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift 
In other words, don't just receive salvation. Don't just receive a new life. And then ignore it. And many have done that. I've prayed with so many people. And so what we do is when people actually obey God, we go, oh, they're super Christian. That's not super Christian. That's normal Christian. There's no super Christians. There's nominal Christians, which just means that you're by name. I I identify as a Christian, kind of like a Republican or a Democrat. You're like, oh, yeah, that box Christian versus Buddhist or Muslim or something. I was born in America. I went to church, went to Sunday school. Tell us, Jonah Noel, check mark, right? Christian. No. It means that you've, your, your life was a wreck. You know it was a wreck, and you went to God saying, God, will you give me a new life? That's what a Christian is. And then you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to show me where to sign, Lord. Whatever. I'll sign it. That word ambassadors. Let's look at that. That means this. To act as an established statesman. To act as an establishment. If that won't fix your posture, what will? I mean, you walk into the room and you're like, excuse me, sickness. I am God's established statement. Statesman making his statement on the earth that there is no sickness in heaven, so there should be no sickness on the earth. So I'm here to take my keys with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to unlock healing right now in the name of Jesus. That's your posture towards sickness. That's your, your, your posture towards poverty. What can I do to unlock not just your financial issues, but what can I do to unlock your mind? Because that's where poverty is. It's a spirit that manifests itself financially. And you might, you might give some money to it, but throwing money at it won't help it. And you know that. I don't have to tell you. To act as an established statesman, a diplomat. A dignitary. You're not a degenerate. We're just degenerate sinners. You were... You were a degenerate, but now you're a dignitary. Now you represent the king of the universe. So when you show up, God just showed up. We wish God would do something. We wish God would do something. He's here to do something. I'm here to represent the king of nations. He's here to do something. And the first thing that he wants to do is he wants to get your heart right. He wants you. We wanted to fix the world. I don't care about me. He came for you. He does. It says it's a trusted, respected ambassador who's authorized to speak as God's emissary. That's an authority right there. I'm here to speak on behalf of God. This is part of the reason why you have the scriptures. Part of the reason why the scriptures carry authority. Part of the reason why I I don't align my theology based upon how I feel or how I respond to it, but based upon what it is said. I have a Bible because there is authority because God said it and God doesn't need to change his mind based upon the way I feel or how much somebody hurt me with that sharp sword. Still the truth. We don't, we don't, we don't respond arrogant or cocky, but competent and capable. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not frustrated, but I'm just here to tell you today that God thinks differently. I'm here to tell you today that God deals with evil. And sickness is a result, not of your evil, but because of the fall of man. That means that we're generous in our attitude towards people. So when someone cuts you off in traffic, 
You don't lose your cool and cuss. You're a dignitary. You're royalty. You represent royalty. You can afford somebody to cut you off in traffic. You can afford for the waitress to overcharge you on something. Oh, you know, I just noticed this. I can't, I can't believe you. What is this service? Whoa. Maybe you forgot your what would Jesus do bracelet at home. Or maybe you just forgot that you're an ambassador for Christ. People wrong you. That's why Jesus said you can love your enemies because you can afford it. You can love those that disagree with your Facebook post. (laughs) That's a tough one. (laughs) I get it. I understand. You can afford it. God bless you. Love, love your, love your little, your little mean statement. I just put a little heart on there. I can afford it. I can afford to put a heart on that, right? Can also afford to unfriend or hide or unfollow. <laughs> Maybe you've done that too much. All right. Ambassadors number three, our practice. So our power, our posture, and our practice. Are you a practicing Christian or a nominal Christian? I'm a Christian. What does that mean? It means that you represent Jesus. That's exactly what it means. Okay? 1 Peter 2, continuing from, from 1, first, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, yeah, I was making fun of myself there. It's okay to laugh when I make fun of myself. It's just not okay to laugh when you make fun of me. Okay. Dear, dear friends, friends, I warn you. So he's talking about all this stuff. Like you are, you are chosen, you are called, you're called out, you're representing God, all this good stuff. Then he tells them, hey, I warn you that you don't belong to this world. You're temporary residents and foreigners. You're aliens. One translation says, I warn you to keep away from worldly desires that wage against your very soul. That could be carnality. That could be as far as like sin activity. It can be mindsets. Come on, this is really where we need to be working right now in this age. Come on, that you have a biblical Christian worldview, not a politically American worldview. Come on. The worldly desires that wage against your very soul, but be careful to live properly. Oh, so good. Be careful. Well, I'm just going to kind of live whatever I want if I feel the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Be careful. Careful to live properly, not careless, not do whatever you want. Well, what can I get away with? That's not being careful. Being careful is, man, I really want to make sure that I'm representing Jesus well today. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. They'll see your honorable posture. They'll see that you don't really get stirred up too easy. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So we talk about this living properly. We're talking about holiness, yes. We're talking about guiding the things that we watch, the things that we listen to. Come on, the things that that we perform and participate in. We are careful to do that because our life doesn't belong to us. I'm set apart for God. We are talking about holiness. But we are also talking about this thing that is working out in our life. The working out in our life. We're working it out. Everybody say, I'm working it out. We're working it out. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He just makes a statement, which we love. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, right? Nothing good you can do will save you. 
He says, but you're saved for good works. Look, for we are God's handiwork. Hey, he's working on us. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works. So you're not saved by good works. You're saved for good works. Created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. And God in all his wisdom said, I'm going to pick them and they're going to do good works. They're going to do good things for us. So in that, our hearts are working. Our hearts are working things out. It's the way that we pray. Right? How many know that prayer has a lot more to do with the posture of your lifestyle than it does simply about the posture of your quiet time? And you need to have a quiet time. But you and I both have signed up to do a quiet time before the Lord said, Lord, I'm going to pray every single day. And you broke it. Both of us have. But I, I believe there is a great strength in, in maybe not just praying an hour. That would be great. But to do what Smith Wigglesworth says, where rarely do I pray an hour, but rarely do I go an hour without praying. Yeah. You get to the place, you know what, prayer, prayer is my posture. My heart is working. And it's not just checking in and checking out. It's like it's a, it's a stream in my life. Yeah. And listen, beloved, we're not praying desperate petitions when yeah, we pray. Right. We don't pray out of urgency, we pray out of intimacy. We're covenant partners. We don't pray out of urgency. Somebody at work had corona. Pray for me, Facebook world. Pray for me. I need a miracle. Awesome. We will pray. We'll believe with you. We'll call it down. But sometimes that's the only time people ever pray when there's a crisis. Well, no wonder you have so many crises. The only time you ever pray is when there is one. So how about you develop a lifestyle of prayer out of intimacy, not urgency? I mean, we get prayer requests all the time, and they're always urgency-driven. Rarely are they, man, I need God to work on my heart. Rarely are they prayers of posture. So when we pray, we pray as intercessors, as priests. On earth as it is in heaven. That's how we pray. Here we are, Lord. We're unlocking it. So we walk in with that posture of prayer because our heart's been made right, because we're connected with the Lord. We're not being desperate. We're representing royalty. We pray, and someone comes to us and prays. You know why they have, you know why people come to you and pray? Because they know you'll pray. Yeah. I don't ever ask anybody to pray for me that I don't think is gonna pray. Yeah. Never. Because I just know they're not gonna do it. They're, they're about to put it on Facebook, but they're not praying. I can tell by the other things that they post. did on the cross that he eradicated sin and he eradicated sickness he eradicated disease that he set the captives free and here I am Lord as your representative and we're unlocking that by the power of the Holy Spirit you don't have to be loud about it you don't have to rebuke the devil about it you don't have to go Father God 400 times you just walk in and you go God is here he sent me I'm here as his representative sickness you gotta go you don't got room here. Authority. So the way that we pray, our hearts are working. Secondly, our mouths are working. The way that we talk, come on, what comes out of our mouth? Are you complaining? Complaining is draining. We're not complaining all the time. We're declaring God's kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. It's not just a prayer. It's a declaration. It's a lifestyle. It's a manner in which we speak. And listen, our, the main thing, beloved, hear me out, 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 hear me out. Do 
not allow social justice to be your main message. Social justice is a message, but it should be a fruit from the gospel. The gospel is your message. And listen, we are louder about cultural issues than we are about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Beloved, we have got to get vocal about the kingdom because if the king is established, racism will end. It will end. And it's not saying that we don't speak about racism because we need to. And we need to do something about it. And we need to do something about child trafficking. We need to do something about pedophiles. We need to do something about that. But that is not our main message. Those things are our result because we live in a fallen, broken world. If we will get serious about the gospel, we'll start declaring the king is here. Here I am to represent him. We will start preaching that people's hearts will be lined up. It won't just be the children that get saved. It'll be the person that's sitting. If we will just get serious about this good, good news. It was the message of Jesus, and if it's good enough for God to preach it, it's good enough for me to preach it. It's good, good news. Our hands are working. Our hearts are working. Our mouths are working. Our hands are working. Listen, there there are many parts but one body. Paul's talking about this. He's like... Listen, don't let the hand say to the ear, you need to grab a little better. Don't let the elbow say, hey, you need to see a little better. No, no, no. You know that every part works on its own, that it, that it has a function, that there's unity and diversity. And we come together and we go, you know what? I'm an eye. I see well. And we go, you know what? I'm an ear. I hear really well. Hey, man, I'm a, I'm a foot. I go really well. And we can come together and bring those things together. Guess what? We are in that responding and answering what Jesus prayed in John 17 when he said that they would be one. Even as I and the Father are one, he said, when you do that, when you can come together, when you come to an agreement and come together and be about seeking first the kingdom, if you can just come together, you'll answer the prayer of Jesus. The body, listen, you need church as much as church needs you. Church needs you as much as you need the church. And we preach, oh, I need church. You know what? Your church needs you. Your church needs you right now. Your church needs you to serve right now. Your church needs you. And you need your church. And you need to serve right now. Not because I said it, but because God's word teaches it. Are you partnering with the God of covenant in your time? What's your posture like with you? I just got time for that. Oh, you got time. We We all got the same amount. It's just how we spend it. I mean, it is, it is the most important currency in your life is your time. How are you spending it? It's not that you don't have time. It's just what you're choosing to use your time on. So what are you investing in? Are you generous with your time? <laughs> Some of you are generous with your money, not very generous with your time. Some of you are generous with your time, not very generous with your money. Will we be well-rounded? Time. Number two is talent. You know that gift that, you, that God gave you, that you're born with? Guess what? It wasn't just for you. It wasn't just so you can make an income or people look at it and celebrate it. It was so God could use it. So God could use it. Your time, your talent, right? Your talents. Are you bringing your talents? Maybe you're really good at wiping babies' butts or holding babies. I'm not really good at wiping babies' butts. I'm pretty good at holding babies until they start crying. Then I'm like, oh, hey, hey. Right? But some of y'all like swoon the babies. You're like, oh, they're like, hey, I'm so happy. Maybe you need to hold more babies. You know, we, we have people all the time that love to bring criticism or they love to bring weight. You know what you should do? <laughs> Wait a second. You need, you need to find a mouse and put it in your pocket and say we, yeah. right? Because there's no, there's no you in church. Yeah. Well, there is when you spell it out. 
but only then. It's all about us. We are the church. Yeah. It draws me up the wall. People are like, you know what I like about your church? I really like your church. I'm like, it's not my church, bro. It's, it's Jesus' church. We all, we all playing in it. I happen to be the pastor. I happen to be the main visionary. Well, you're just as part. You're just, listen, you're, you even sometimes sitting right where you're sitting is just as important as me standing up here preaching. You're serving outside. You walking around with a smile on your face is just as important as me preaching. That will, that will minister the good. You, you are representing Jesus in all the things that you're doing. You're changing a slide or you're adjusting a sound. Listen, you need to give your talents. You say, well, I don't have any talents. Well, we'll help you. We'll give you talents. We'll teach you how to do things. We'd love to do that. And you'll be like, I'm really good at this. And then you're making like six figures next year doing that thing. You never knew it. Where'd you learn it? Listen, I learned, I, I make a lot of money from things I learned to do in church and doing things that I wasn't good at that I learned to be good at. I have a business because of that. I have a graphic design business because I did graphic designs because I couldn't get anybody else. They, they all look terrible, so I did my own. So I started using it in the church. Guess what? Now it works for me. That's what the way that we were able to plan a church. If I wouldn't have learned how to do graphics, just serving, guess what? Nobody's paying me to do graphics at the church. It wasn't part of my job description, but I learned to do it, and now it serves me. Now it serves you. Talent, time, talent. The third is treasure. What is treasure? Treasure is your money. When you look at your bank account, you say, you want to know where God is in your life? You want to see what your priorities are? Pull up your bank statement. Start looking, see where all your money goes. Right? I mean, Jesus called us to tithe. We believe Jesus spoke when he said, give to God what is God's. That was the tithe that already belonged to God. That's why it's robbing from God is when we withhold the tithe. It's already God's. But not just, not just in your offerings in church. That's critical. That's valuable. That's important, especially right now. That's important. But also just the way that you spend your money on other people, are you blessing people with your money, or is it just all you? Or you just all, all, is it all about accumulation? Is it all just about survival and accumulating? That's poverty. To survive and not to be a resource for others, not to be a resource for God. So, if you be faithful in little, all three of these things, God will make you rewarded much. 